You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Christopher Media, let's make some noise. Hanukkah reminds us that when it comes to light, tomorrow's always brighter. Tomorrow is a bright future. Because that is what the Jewish people know from our history. Is that when all the naysayers, individually or collectively, have said about us, we're lighting menorahs in Bozeman, Montana. Happy Hanukkah! That was Rabbi Chaim Brook. He's a Chabad Hasidic rabbi from Crown Heights, Brooklyn, who moved to Bozeman, Montana, to bring his brand of Judaism to the American West. And he promised to put a kosher mezuzah on the home of every Jew in a state 14 times larger than Israel. Francis, you want to be the first one to give a kiss? Or mom? Yeah, don't pull it off. Just give it a kiss. There you go. It's a beautiful thing for the home. Now you certainly don't have to lock the doors. Yeah. Now, even in even Montana, you never have to lock the doors. But if you have a mezuzah and a gun, you're, you're guaranteed to be safe and secure. We're secular Jewish filmmakers based in the liberal Northeast. And we believe it's really important to make a documentary about somebody who seems our political and religious opposite. What is a Hasidic rabbi doing, doing in Montana? Doing in Montana. <laughs> I'm not here to judge other Jews, other human beings. I'm not here to, to decide who's going to heaven and who's going to hell. I'm God's salesman. And you know what's unique about salesmen? We try to make a sale. In my case, I'm trying to sell Judaism. And either I'll sell it, and if I don't succeed, I'll come back next week. I'll come back next month, and I'll try again. That's a salesman. The more time we spent with Hayam, the more we grew to like him and his family, his wife, Javi, and their five adopted children. And we saw how so many people in his community, made up mostly of unaffiliated Jews like ourselves, felt accepted and even spiritually inspired by him. Together, happy Hanukkah! Happy Hanukkah! We discovered that the other Montana rabbis, both reform and conservative, felt that Rabbi Chaim acted as if his kind of Judaism was the only kind of Judaism that counted. So the Rabbi Goes West has spirituality. It has heart. It also has conflict. What separates us is the idea that you promulgate, that you are authentic Judaism, and that we're not, that we're a heretical movement, that I don't propagate anything. Well, I could look on your website and read it. Feel free. And it has a simple but important message, to respect and listen to each other, even when we disagree. All three of us share the mission of teaching Torah, of inspiring people, um, helping them expand their Jewish identity. We spent two years filming in beautiful Montana and then made a stop in Crown Heights, Brooklyn, the home of Rabbi Chaim's Hasidic community. But we're at a critical point. We need serious funding to complete our documentary. This includes additional editing, an original score, and one last shoot taking us back to Montana. With your support today, we can bring the film to all of you in 2019. Every donation helps. Can we please count on you? And will you share this campaign far and wide? Thank Thank you. you.
Hey folks, welcome to a special episode of The Projection Booth. I'm about to play an interview with Gerald Perry, the co-director of The Rabbi Goes West. It is a new documentary, sounds absolutely fascinating. They are currently doing a Kickstarter campaign that expires on August 10, 2018, so I would encourage you, if you want to see this movie made, after you hear Jerry talk about it, go on over, give a couple bucks, it'll make your heart feel good. My name is Gerald Perry, P-E-A-R-Y. Um, I have been in life a film professor, a film historian, um, a film critic for many years, uh, mostly for the Boston Phoenix. And in recent years, I've made a switch from to the other side of the camera, and I um, now am a documentarian, and I am in the midst of my third documentary, which is the film called The Rabbi Goes West. Tell me about your first two films. What were those like? Well, the first documentary was about my profession, and it's called For the Love of Movies, colon, The Story of American Film Criticism. So this is a 2009 film about the history of American critics and interviews with many, many critics, uh, a lot of whom are no longer on this earth. So it's quite an interesting uh, historical document, and uh, I'm pretty proud of it. So that's where it started. And uh, the second movie, a total switch, was about Archie Comics. Uh, when I was a child, I was a huge Archie fan, and this is a film called Archie's Betty, and it's about the real-life people behind the characters in Archie Comics. And it's before the, the series Riverdale, which is all revisionist um, you know, TV stuff. This is about the old-fashioned Archie Comics of, that existed for 70 years and as part of Americana. And then, again, a total switch to this third film about a Hasidic rabbi, which I guess we're going to talk about today. So uh, I don't know what the connection is among the three, three films. I guess you have to talk to a therapist to figure it out, but uh, there they are. Tell me about The Rabbi Goes West. How did this project come to be? So the story of this film, The Rabbi Goes West, is that I am Jewish, uh, I'm not a religious Jew, but I feel very, very Jewish. I feel connected to my Judaism, but I wanted to be more connected. So I was trying to figure out a film, maybe it's because I'm an older person now, and I guess that there's some way in which people start thinking more about their spirituality. And for someone as non-religious as me, it's a long time before I thought about it. I think spirituality always before is about going to movies and reading good books, but there's Judaism there. So I would try to figure out what about Judaism um, is something that I connect to. And I, I'm a cultural Jew. I know uh, things like who Jewish writers are, and um, I know you know who Jewish baseball players are, and I'm also uh, uh, an eater of Jewish food. I like that, but the religion is the kind of the least part, except for one thing that I am interested in, and that's a thing called a mezuzah. And a mezuzah, for those who don't know, I, I don't know if, it's, if there's an equivalent to a Christian cross, a little bit, but a mezuzah is a little encased prayer offering that you will see on the doorposts of Jewish people. So when you walk in and out of the house, there's this little thing hanging there, which has verses from Deuteronomy. And it's a way of saying that you are telling the world that I am Jewish. That So when you, you go, you'll pass a doorway and there it is. Oh, a Jewish person lives there. So I like letting the world know I'm Jewish. I'm proudly Jewish. And so I like mezuzahs. So I went on the Internet and I started looking up 
things about mezuzahs, movies that have mezuzah scenes, um, little funny little uh, TV shows about mezuzahs. And then I came upon the main character of my film, and he's a guy named Rabbi Chaim Brook, who lives in Bozeman, Montana, never been to Montana, and he, on the Internet, talked about his obsession and what his he's doing, his mission. And his mission is to put a mezuzah on the home of every Jew in the state of Montana. And there are, Montana is huge, and there are 1,300 Jewish families in a state which we say is 14 times the size of Israel. So he drives around this incredibly large state and puts up mezuzahs wherever he can find a Jewish family. And I thought, hmm, that's really interesting. Um, because we know that good movies, uh, especially documentaries, are often about someone who has an obsession. Obsession is good is good cinema. And so uh, I called him up, got him on the phone in Montana. And um, one thing about documentaries that people should often don't think about is that you cast a documentary just the way you cast a feature film. Uh, if you have the wrong character, you got a bad movie. So I talked to this guy, and he I loved everything about him. He was very fast-talking. He was hilarious, a great sense of humor, a sarcastic sense of humor. And uh, so I was said, hmm, can I come out to Montana and talk to you? And he said, sure, come on out. And that's how it started. I'd never been there. So I had two things. I, um, I say as a non-religious Jew, um, he's a religious Jew. I don't know anything about that, really. And I've never, I live in uh, Cambridge, Massachusetts. I've never been to Montana, the legendary Montana. So this was just everything about it sounded like a, a really fun challenge. And, and that's how we began. As you're talking about mezuzahs, I'm trying to think of scenes or references to mezuzahs in popular culture. And I can think of one in Schindler's List. I'm thinking maybe there was one in The Chosen. I don't think it's in The Chosen. There were several television shows like Boardwalk Empire had a scene. Um, a kind of funny thing, it's not exactly a mezuzah, but but um, Leonard Nimoy, who is famously Jewish, uh, had this little gesture that he did in terms of, and this is really bad, I forgot what his what world he comes from, but this little, which world? It's a Vulcan. Okay, so his, he has a little thing he did with his hand, this Vulcan gesture, and it actually is what we call the Hamash, which is a Jewish uh, symbol. It's a Hebrew symbol, which is on the mezuzah. So he was flashing, I'm Jewish, and he did a, a, a mezuzah thing. There's some funny Larry David stuff where he's, uh, you know, of course, doing something really sacrilegious with mezuzahs, very, very funny stuff. Um, I think the most famous movie thing, and it's actually a, a blunder, is in the San Francisco Kid. Um, Gene Wilder, who plays a, a you know a rabbi, crosses America, and, and as there's a Jewish home, and there's a mezuzah hanging in the doorway, and it's on screen for about a minute. Except, yikes! It's in the wrong direction. Uh, mezuzah leans, but it has to lean in toward the house, and that mezuzah put up by some. I guess Shiksa Goyam, who worked on the movie, was pointing on uh, toward the outside of the house. So, you know, heresy, heresy. I hope our, the good Lord didn't see that, but, but that, that's it. So but there are a bunch of other little smattering. Sex in the City had a, uh, an episode once in which one of the characters was, um, I think, 
going to marry a Jewish guy, at least for a while, until it broke up, and she was, again, a bachelorette, and so she was getting into his lifestyle and and was contemplating mezuzahs, some mezuzahs in there, too. So, yeah, so there are a bunch of them, but... <clears throat> Yeah, so, you know, you could make a movie dangling all kinds of mezuzah things. But the other thing about it, it would be enormously expensive because you'd have to pay rights for all these things. And I'm, and I'm a humble, you know, self, self, um, you know, self-paying, um, independent filmmaker. So there's no way that I realized that. And that was actually just like, I thought about it for a little bit. Could I make this kind of thing called the mezuzah movie, which would have all kinds of kind of collage of everything mezuzah? And I realize uh, it's a great idea, but who's got, you know, half a million dollars to do it? I don't. So I did the cheaper version, which is a, a documentary in which you follow a character around. But it's, and it's not cheap, and we'll talk about that. Well, I'm doing a Kickstarter campaign. Did you have a mezuzah in your house when you were growing up? I think we did. We're, not, again, not very religious. Um, bad. I, I should know my childhood inside and out, but I can't quite remember. But that's the kind of thing we would do as someone you know, mildly Jewish, not really a, a synagogue attending person, but people like me always have, you know, they go to uh, Passover, Pesach, because everybody goes that, and you put a mezuzah in your house. But not everybody has a mezuzah, actually, so it's kind of interesting that I, I am already uh, shaming my Jewish friends. You don't have a mezuzah? What kind of Jew are you? You know mezuzah? That's, you gotta, from my movie, you're gonna put up a mezuzah. So that's already a good thing. I've gotten two people who say they're going to put up a mezuzah, and the movie isn't even finished yet. So if nothing else, there going to be a lot more mezuzahs around America with my movie. Tell me, what was it like for you going out to Montana the first time? It's called the Big Sky Country, and I live in Cambridge, Massachusetts, a typical um, you know city where you look up and there's skyscrapers and there's some trees, and you can sort of peek around, and, oh, there's a little bit of sky. So... When you get off in Bozeman, Montana, which where our film was mostly set, you walk out of the airport and you go, oh, my gosh. You look up and above you is just endless sky, endless rapture, and you haven't even left the airport. But then you go out into the, into the, um, and drive around and it's just these, the best mountains you've ever seen and it really is a gorgeous place. It's fantastic. So I think that's one of the things we've learned in in the movie is that um, just being there is a kind of religious experience um, for everybody. So that we have a, a group of Jewish characters in the movie, uh, and we have not only one rabbi, we have three rabbis in three different synagogues around the state, and they don't always get along, which is too bad, but one thing they do get along with is they all are amazed at the transcendent beauty of being in Montana, that they can feel you know, God's presence being there. And it's, and I, you know, and even non-religious me, I am in awe looking around there. It's, you know, everybody should go to Montana. Wow. What a place. Well, that's the thing. When I grew up and learned about Jewish people, there were the divisions, you know, and there is that within any religion. And I'm curious what types of Judaism are in Montana and what are the differences with these rabbis? The big three are there in groups which are reform uh, conservative and orthodox. And the rabbi I am following is an orthodox rabbi, 
which is, again, is far from secular me. And it's even, it gets more complicated, more interesting, because he is not an Orthodox, but he's a, he's a Hasidic rabbi. He's from, he's from a Hasidic sect called the Lubavitchers in New York, also called Chabad. And so, um, in making the movie, um, that's one of the first things I learned. I should, I should mention quickly, or I have not fast enough. The film is co-directed by my wife. His name is Amy Geller, who's also Jewish and also pretty secular. Uh, she was once for three years the, the artistic director of the Boston Jewish Film Festival. So she has some pretty good credits. But we really didn't know anything about the Hasidim, you know, besides seeing the chosen and very, very superficial stuff. So in making the movie, uh, one of the fun things about documentaries is it's a lot of research. And if you enjoy research, which I do, um, it's it's really interesting. So we have learned so much about uh, Hasidim. It's a very hard word, Hasidim, and especially about Chabad, this particular kind of Hasidim. And so that we're always now teaching our secular friends about it because there are lots of myths and lots of things don't understand. But the thing about this particular group, the Lubavitchers, Chabad, uh, it is very different from every other uh, Hasidic group, is that they do outreach. Like Hasids are famous for being very insular and hiding out and often uh, having, you know, kind of a little bit paranoid relationships with the outside world, including, you know, other Jews. Um, but this particular group, Chabad, has a special mission, which is to go around the world set up in all kinds of the oddest places and bring their kind of Judaism to everywhere. So there, so um, Chabad is in 92 countries in the world. It's in every state in America. There are often Chabads around every university campus. And so what sounds strange to have Rabbi Chaim coming to Montana is actually what his, his group does, is find a place that nobody... That there are very few Jews, are very and go out there and try to spread the Jewish spirit, and also find Jews that people don't even know about. So one of the things is when uh, my rabbi goes around Montana looking to put up mezuzahs, he's actually looking for Jews that that haven't declared they're quietly Jewish or half Jewish. As he says, you know, so it's very easy. You go into a gas station and you ask somebody, "Hey, are there any Jews in this town?" And he said, "That's what we'll do. We'll go in and we'll ask." And that's what he, he will do. He'll, he drives around, and if he finds somebody Jewish, he will go to their house. Hello, I'm Rabbi Chaim. Would you like me to put up a mezuzah and then, you know, get in touch with your Judaism? And maybe you'll come to my synagogue. And he calls himself God Salesman. He said, I'm a salesman for, I'm a salesman for Judaism. That's what I do. And if you don't uh, like me this time, you know what? I'll come back next month. I'll come back in a year until you, until you come around. And that's what he does. So, that's very different than not only what Hasids do, but what all Jews do, because Judaism is a religion which is, again, very famously does not recruit. Um, it's it's a given that, you know, if you're Jewish, you're Jewish, and it's not, you don't try to get Christians to become Jewish, you don't try to, you just sort of do your synagogue. And so it's kind of throws other Jews to see Chabad going around recruiting, going out actively, and they're not, they're not, like a myth is that they're trying to convert people to to become Orthodox Jews. They aren't, but they really are trying to find Jews everywhere and get them to proclaim their Judaism and to do something. So it's 
it's uh, shocking to others, but it's incredibly successful, this movement. So that's part of this movie is showing this movement, which is, in a way, it's like, it's, and the other thing about it, it's a kind of evangelical Judaism, because the beliefs of Chabad are that the Bible is literally true, that the world is less than 6,000 years old, and that the Torah is completely true, and uh, those are givens, and that's really strange. But the thing about Chabad is that it attracts people to come to the synagogues who are who don't necessarily believe all of those things. It's filled like the synagogue in Bozeman, Montana, which my rabbi runs. This is so fascinating. Us. The people who go to it are mostly very, very secular Jews, um, middle-class professionals, lawyers, um, doctors, real estate agents, very educated people, and yet they will... I don't know if they buy into this, but they love the, the the spirit of Judaism so much that there they are at his synagogue. So, scratch my head, but it's pretty amazing. What do people think of him going around proselytizing, which I know is, I mean, what are the reactions to that? Well, the reactions are not very good from the other rabbis. In fact, they're very negative because... Um, they'll even accuse him of poaching, or if this is, and it's not, it's sort of what's happening in Montana is happening in many places, is that Chabad is very successful and other Judaism are quite threatened by what they're doing, um, because Judaism is not a very large religion, and in, in places where there are very few Jews like Montana, that's, you're really, um, everybody wants to have the few Jews that are there come to their synagogues. You know, it's uh, you, know, you need to support your synagogue. So to have this guy come in and do as as well as he does, yeah, um, shakes up other people. Now he himself doesn't care. He is oblivious to that in his philosophy. And it's you know, I mean, it's one way you can argue. His argument is, well, you know what? If their kind of Judaism was as interesting as mine, people would be going to their synagogues. So you know, I I don't care if they want to. You know, they, people can go wherever they want. But this is what I'm offering. Uh, so he is, uh, you know, quite big-headed about it, and the other rabbis are a bit threatened by it. So that, you know, that that's the story. There has been such a, uh, a turn of violence towards anyone who's not a white Anglo-Saxon male, uh, you know, since 2016. I mean, how do you... How do you see the Jews in Montana kind of fitting into the society out there, which seems like that that just seems like white bread America? Most of the people are, uh, well, it's white bread America, but I mean, a, a great virtue of Montana is that it's quite a live and let live state. Um, there are, you know, some crazy survivalists running around, but mostly you, you know, whatever you want to do. People, I seemingly, I mean, I, and I don't live there, but that's what people are saying, and that seems what I'm feeling that that uh, you're you're on your own. I mean, most of the people who are Jews there are, uh, I don't know, they're look like every other white person. They're 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 not very different. The thing about Rabbi Chaim, on the other hand, he's the only person there who has you know a traditional Jewish beard and wears dark clothes and is totally kosher. He gets his food shipped in from Montana, I mean, from Minnesota. And uh, at first, Amy and I thought, oh, we have a great fish out of water story. But it turns out this fish is beloved. He's actually by uh, embraced by, like, I think the Christian community of uh, Bozeman. He's a very popular figure. He's a very charismatic guy, 
Like we have him, you know, he goes to the radio station, he does regular reporting. He's yeah, so so uh, he's done really well. We wouldn't know if there were a bunch more um, Hasids who lived there. Now, what at that point would then people go? Hmm, I don't like all those people dressed in black. I don't know. We don't know. He's he only he's there and he's doing just fine. He's a very happy camper uh, living there. He's still he goes back to. He's he's originally from Brooklyn. Uh, Chabad, the Lubavitchers live in one section called Crown Heights, Brooklyn, and um, and we went back with him to visit his family and to see his old, you know, his school that he went to, and he has a great nostalgia for where he grew up. But he kind of bounces around. He loves both of them, so he gets enough going back to New York to, you know, get a hit of his life. But he is very very happy in in Bozeman. He's doing. Great. How is that working with your significant other, working with your wife on a project? Because I know sometimes, you know, when you come to an artistic project, tempers can get a little heated. You described it exactly. We we have a uh, – well, I think we're doing great right now, but it goes up and down because it just does, making a film like this. We've, we're uh, both very opinionated and feel strongly about what we believe, and we – you know, we definitely have moments when we're ready to kill each other. I mean, for the, I mean, the biggest problem with making a movie together is that you you live, live it for 24 hours a day. You know, when you finish the day, you're sitting over dinner. What do you talk about? Your stupid movie. What do you at night? And you know, I was I went to bed early. My wife walks in. I'm falling asleep. She starts talking about the movie. It wakes me up. And so that's 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 tough. To have it, you just cannot get away from the project that you're working on. And with a Kickstarter campaign, it's even tougher. That really is like feels like 24 hours a day doing a Kickstarter campaign uh, for your movie. But I think we're fine. We're we're uh, stronger for making this movie together. We're 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 really both. Uh, I think the big thing is we both really love this topic. We've got both gotten totally fascinated by this rabbi. And his strange worlds to us, and we both, you know, have been crazy about going to Montana. So, yeah, it's okay. We're doing okay. How many times have you been to Montana now that you've started working on this project? Four. We've gone for three times to Bozeman to film all kinds of things. We, the other place we've gone to the place called Whitefish, Montana. And if you're Jewish, Whitefish. Is a you know thing that Jews eat. And Whitefish, Montana. There can't be such a place. There is. It's a, a town in northern Montana, and the reason we went there was that there was a as we our movie was evolving, this horrible thing happened. Neo neo Nazis threatened to march in the city of Whitefish, and neo and these were out mostly out of state neo Nazis, and they and we have a, another rabbi in our film was a woman named. Uh, Francine Rostin, who is a conservative rabbi who lives in Whitefish, that's where her congregants are, and the they she was the victim of a cyber attack by neo Nazis, just the most vile, vicious, horrible stuff, you know, putting her with you know, you know yellow stars and and concentration camp and you know die in the concentration, just horrible stuff. So there was a moment when it looked like the neo Nazis were going to march. And the whole town of Whitefish very nicely got behind the Jews of the town, and the city council, and the and the and the police officers, and everything. And the neo Nazis changed their mind and did not march. And instead, 
couple of months later, they marched in a place called Charlottesville, Virginia. This is before Charlottesville. So, um, so yeah, so that's a nice thing with documentaries if, is that the story changes as you're doing it. And that was a change. We had no idea as we were filming that suddenly, what? Neo-Nazis are coming to um, Montana? Well, let's go find out about that. So that's in The Rabbi Goes West. I'm glad to hear that they pulled together as a community. They did. It was great. Yeah. So that's so that's the so at any time in Montana where there has been a um, a threat from that kind of right, and this has happened about four or five times in each city, the city has has backed the Jewish people in a very very good way. So uh, I'm happy to say that, to hear that. Yeah. So where are you at currently with the project? Where is the Rabbi Goes West? Well, the Rabbi Goes West is at Rough Cut. Um, for those who don't know that, what that means, that's the film. We have a beginning, a middle, and an end, but we don't know if that's going you know, to finally be the beginning, the middle, and the end. Um, so we're looking at it, but we're putting in a hiatus, hiatus for actually a month and a half. I cannot edit at all because, again, I keep throwing in suddenly in the middle of everything the Kickstarter campaign. Um, so we can't. We our plan is to. You know, hopefully raise the money. We're trying to get $40,000 through our Kickstarter campaign. And if that is raised, then we can do what we need to do, which is to finish all the editing, um, pay for a, a score for the film, a music score, and go at least one more time back to Montana to do some more filming, some more, some questions that we still have, um, that aren't answered and we need them answered to have the, the film that we want. So. Yeah, so that's that's the story. So the Kickstarter is over August 10th. You've done pretty well so far. Outsiders do not understand how expensive it is to make a film. You just can't have this little wish, I'm going to make a film. It just, the expense just goes on and on. It kills you. And, I, I you know, my little lecture is that we're, you know, United States versus about any other country in the world. It's a place where... There is no government support for the arts and certainly no government support for, for film. If this is Canada, all my Canadian friends get lots of grants. That's part of the, the, this belief of the government. The culture is really important as part of life, not in, not in America. So if you make an independent film, although we're, you know, the richest country in the world, um, it's really as a, a curse for, um, you know, to be the richest country and, and have to pay for your own film. Because it's not like writing a book. You know, films cost, you know, uh, you know, minimally a hundred thousand, two hundred thousand, three hundred thousand dollars to make, uh, just to make a little documentary. So here we are. Uh, you know, we've gone so far. We've spent our own money for a while and then we said, you know what? We cannot do this anymore. This, this is absurd. So let's see if we can reach out and see if other people care enough about this movie to to help us so so we decided forty thousand dollars we can finish the movie and with kickstarter you sort of invent your own time frame so we went for like 32 days so it was 32 days to raise to try to raise forty thousand dollars and then it is a political campaign trying to get your friends and your non-friends everybody to to try to kick in some money and with, as we say with Kickstarter, it's all or nothing. So you can raise and raise and raise. And if you don't raise the figure you've, you asked for, 
uh, all the money goes away and you're back to zero. And that happens to many Kickstarter campaigns because you have to be so organized, so on top of it, and um, and just work, 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 and just really just say 12 or to 15 hours a day you will be trying to, to raise money, which is what Amy and I have been do- and doing. Luckily, there are two of us, so two of us working um, all those hours. So what we've been doing is you try to figure out with Kickstarter who, you know, who you're, uh, you know, how do you get the money? So there are little circles. So you have your family, and unfortunately, neither of us come from rich families or large families. So, uh-oh, that's not good. Then you go to your friends, and we have uh, friends, but it, as we now know, it really helps to have rich friends, people with deep pockets. And we don't have a lot of those. We have a lot of artsy friends. So the the biggest thing, the, who, the people who have been giving us money, unbelievable amount of other filmmakers. It is so gratifying. We have, I, I haven't counted them. I should have done this before, but 80, 90 filmmakers from Boston, but also around the country have pitched in. Um, you know, people I've known over the years or Amy's known or people I reviewed as a film critic years ago. And it's been really sweet. Um, you know, we have, and we've also had, I think, a lot of film. I'm a college professor. Uh, another group, a lot of college professors have given money. Who would have thought that? Uh, another group um, is, is uh, well, that's actually film people, film editors. A lot of film editors, very nice people have given money. Um Writers, a bunch of writers are giving money. So we're doing very well with the, you know, the community. And, and we've got, I think I, I just, and I, if I can just brag for a minute, we've had some really cool people who have come in. So, uh, the, the, the great Jewish American writer, Jonathan Latham, who wrote Motherless Brooklyn and lots of other films, um, contributed and he also wrote this great quote that we have been using about, you know, me being, quote, a brilliant filmmaker. It's hyperbole, but it's really nice. Uh, another person who gave and gave quite a lot of money, and this is, a, I think, a nice story, is Damien Chazelle, the director of La La Land. Um, years ago when he lived in Cambridge, I was the first person to program his first little movie called Madeline um, and Guy on a Park Bench, or Guy and Madeline on a Park Bench, and write, I think I wrote a little nice something about it. Well, he is still to this day incredibly grateful for that. And so he gave a bunch of money to me and he also provided again a great quote that we can use. And, uh, he's off to Venice with his new film and yet he stopped to do all this for me. So that was really sweet. And then we have, you know, weird people like you probably like the filmmaker Guy Madden, the great cult Canadian filmmaker of, you know, my Winnipeg and other movies. He, he's another guy who wrote, sent some money and wrote a nice quote about it. So, so we're getting some very interesting people who have, um, you know, come on supporting the movie in addition to just regular, lots of, you know, regular people. But what happens with a Kickstarter campaign is, and this is, I think they they have a typical cycle is that you can only go so far with people that you know. You can squeeze and squeeze and squeeze. And so we're, you know, I'm looking now at the board in front of me, our Kickstarter campaign, and we were trying to raise $40,000 by August 10th. We've raised $26,000, 65%. That sounds really good, except that means we have to raise over $1,000 a day every day 
until the end to finish. We have less than two weeks. And the worst thing is we've pretty much run out of people we know. Oh, so this is the bad thing. So where are we going to get $14,000 more from people we don't know? And so I have an idea. Let's get on radio. Let's let's appear with Mike White on his show and, and and people that are listening to him who like movies or make this movie sound good. Maybe they will contribute. The movie is called The Rabbi Goes West, W-E-S-T, The Rabbi Goes West, and that's also our website. So if you go to therabbigoeswest.com slash donate, therabbigoeswest.com slash donate. I'm sure everybody out there has got your pens out. You can't wait. And if you give $10, that's fine. A thousand dollars is really fine. A million dollars will take a million dollars, but the rabbi goes west dot com slash donate and we will, you know, thank you if you do it. There's, there's several ways on Kickstarter, by the way. You can, you can donate with your name and, and or you can also do something that's more anonymous. You put, you come on as a guest and we have a bunch of people as a guest who just want to be friends but don't want to, you know, have have their hands shaken or back slapped. But if you give us your name, we will get back to you and thank you because um, as we write to people again and again, we are so grateful that people are supporting us because, you know, it's just it's the goodness of your heart doing this. It's just a, a lovely, lovely thing. The Jewish term is a mitzvah. That's a term for a good deed. So it's people, Jewish and non-Jewish, doing mitzvahs if they help the rabbi goes west at TheRabbiGoesWest.com slash donate. So I'll, I'll, I'll shut up with my shameless, um, shameless thing, but that's it. The thing that I always look for when it comes to the Kickstarter stuff is those that, that extra stuff, the, the shtick, as it were. And the shtick for The Rabbi Goes West, I am really looking forward, because I've given to this campaign, I'm really looking forward to the, the recipes, the Feed Your Belly recipes. I can't wait for that. Uh-huh. <laughs> Yeah, there's some incredible Jewish recipes. So, you know, sometimes, you know, some, some, you know, uh, my editor is not Jewish and he is, uh, crazy, but he's crazy about Jewish food. So uh, we'll go to a deli to have, you know, corned beef or something. So, um, but, you know, not every, like the test usually for non-Jews is kefilte fish. If you've had kefilte fish, um, half, half the non-Jews go, what is that? It's a, it's a fish ball with this kind of gelatin that kind of shivers underneath the kvilta fish, and very rarely was someone not Jewish slurp up that shivery, shivery stuff. But that's that's the that's the test. Um, but the Jewish food is delicious. Oh my gosh, it's fantastic. And so yeah, that's one of the one of the things you get. So yeah, so we have a whole bunch of different um, choices along the way for. You know, what you can get, you know, from being at the top, you can be an associate producer on this film. Uh, there are lots of play ways where I, I, I'm not going to remember the numbers now, but if you give a certain amount of money, you know, I mean, at the bottom level, you get, you know, our film sent to you or, um, you know, when it's done, we get it shipped. Some people get DVD, some people get it streaming. And as you go up, um, there are all kinds of other goodies, like you say, Jewish recipes. Um, if you go even higher, uh, my wife is an incredible producer, and she will, uh, for a certain amount of money, she will talk to you on the phone for an hour with advice 
to kill for about how to how to make your movie, what what you need to how to organize it, whatever. If you get, I think I think I'm a thousand dollars, at least in New England. If you want to bring me over for the night. I will introduce a film. You can choose a film that you want, and then I will introduce it. We watch the movie, and we have a discussion, a Q and A with the, all the whoever is there. So that's a uh, you know that's a great I think birthday party, as you pick your favorite movie, Citizen Kane, and I introduce Citizen Kane. This is directed by Orson Welles, blah blah blah, and then we had discuss it afterward, and. Uh, it's, uh, you know, your own little movie theater for the night, a birthday party. Instead of having a magician, you got me coming in and giving a spiel about a movie. But that's really fun. Fun for me and fun for you. So it just, so there are all kinds of prizes along the way. And, uh, you, you, when you look at, at the thing, you will find and find a prize that works for you. That's all I can say. It's, it's pretty good. The rabbi goes west. If it was me, I would have you come over and do the Robert Aldrich film, The Frisco Kid, with uh, Gene Wilder. And yeah, that would be good. That's a it's a Jewish road movie. You know, that's that's pretty rare. Yeah, and and it's terrific performance uh, by Gene Wilder, who is just a delight. And it's you know, it's Robert Aldrich, the director, who is you usually know him as kind of a hard boiled director, like things like Kiss Me Deadly. So it's kind of I don't think he was Jewish either. So it's a complete switch making this little. Jewish, Jewishy, you know, kind of Jewish stick, kind of a Mel Brooksy movie, but without Mel Brooks, with Robert Aldrich instead. Who would know? But he did it. It's very funny. Jerry, thank you so much for your time tonight. I'm really glad we got to talk. Great, that was terrific. And your show was great. I mean, man, I got to say, you've talked to everybody. I'm very honored because you're. It's a Hall of Fame kind of program that you've done. I don't, yeah, I mean, guest after guest after guest. So impressive. So I join your little walk of fame or whatever. It's really nice. I'm humbled being on your show. And, and frankly, there's nothing so unusual about being a Jewish cowboy. On the trail, nowhere, all I have is a horse, even he. But leave, if he broke free of this curse All I got's memory They aren't even mine The drive, wind wails Till my song is blown away
is straight from the horse's mouth. We are buried treasure. Vagabonds travel, don't gravel, palm battles, don't show forever, ever, ever. This is straight from the horse's mouth. We are buried treasure. Vagabonds travel, don't gravel, palm battles, don't show forever, ever, Bounty on my head, spurs on your feet. We are the out of towners, the county gives us grief. Or oh, I ain't horses, we gallop at light speed. New, new, new sheriff in town, I still fit the description. So they stressing me, they do them like ashtrays and put the clip in. Maintain, cause I'm chosen, like hieroglyphic inscriptions. To be decoded by those who ain't frozen. Word up. show and want more people to know about it head on over to itunes leave a comment and rate it five stars make sure you like and share us on facebook and don't forget to follow us on twitter just search for christopher media thank you in advance for supporting christopher media by clicking on the paypal button and by clicking through to all the sponsors who support christophermedia.net most importantly we would like to take the time to extend an extra special thanks to you christopher media could not exist without your support thank you for visiting christophermedia.net and thank you for listening Christopher Media. Let's make some noise.